0: It's really worth doing. Like, it is a, like, starting a company is hard. It is a lot of work. You're trying to solve a million different problems at the same time. You're very much, like, building the plane while it's flying in the air. But, gosh, it is a very gratifying experience to get to work with a lot of really mission-oriented people to build something durable. Uh, and I would, if you're thinking about doing it, like, it's it's absolutely worth doing
1: Hi, hey, and welcome to The Sliced Podcast, where we share startup stories from founders, investors, and CEOs from across the globe. A little bit about our platform, Startup Blogpost, is that we're a community where aspiring entrepreneurs and venture capital ecosystem stakeholders can share meaningful insights, engage with colleagues and peers, and stay informed. Hi, and welcome back to The Sliced Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Ahrens. Today's guest is Michael Bada, co-founder of Sesame. Sesame is America's only superstore for great doctors and specialists for patients that are looking for convenient, high-quality, full-scope medical care at affordable, self-pay prices without insurance. Hey, Michael, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Hey, Emily, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
1: I'm so excited to learn more about you and about Sesame and kind of just dive right in.
0: All right, let's do it.
1: So I have some really fun notes here. So I'd like to start with your education because I find it very interesting. So it looks like you have a degree in bioethics from Princeton. Is that correct?
0: Oh, yeah, that's true. So if (laughs) I go back to college, um, it's basically a degree in like biology and public policy. I was going to say, what is
1: bioethics?
0: Yeah. So I spent a bunch of time at uh, the public policy school. At Princeton, sort of understanding how government relates to healthcare and medicine. Because one of the things I realized early on was so I'm somebody who's always been really interested in healthcare, particularly because like when I was a kid, like a bunch of my family members had, you know, long hospital stays or very serious illnesses and things that cropped up. And one of the things that always stood out to me was that the American system of healthcare seemed so like fundamentally screwed up in so many ways. And that had a lot less to do with. Uh, what individual doctors or hospitals wanted to do and a lot more to do with like the incentives that they faced Mm -hmm. and the incentives they face are in part uh, based on sort of the way that our system of government has decided to make healthcare and health insurance available in part how like the health insurance industry pays them so I really wanted to understand how those incentives worked and so I started with that in college and then eventually in grad school too.
1: That's so neat. And so then PhD from Harvard in health economics and policy.
0: Yeah. um, I've been super lucky. I got to go to Princeton, Harvard, which is kind of insane in the first place. Um, But yeah, Harvard has a program that's sort of part of the medical school and part of the economics department Mm -hmm. that bridges those things. So I got a PhD in that program. And then I spent some time in the interim and working for the White House. I worked for the Obama administration on the ACA. I took a little break from the PhD to do that and then went back. Um, And similarly, spent some time at the Brookings Institution, which is a think tank, working on uh, healthcare and pharma policy stuff.
1: That is so neat. I'm going to circle back to the White House. But first, I'm curious. So when you're getting your degrees in in the PhD and everything, at this time, did you have a clear vision of what you wanted to do once you had graduated?
0: I, I think it probably changed a little bit over time. I knew that I cared a lot about those really screwed up incentives mm-hmm. in the healthcare industry in part because you know, like a lot of people, I got into this cause I, you know, had those personal experiences with the healthcare system and watched all the things that, you know, kind of terrified or, or made me angry about the way that our system treats patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took a class in college that was called diseases and children. And the way it worked was every week there was a seminar and as part of the seminar, a physician or a team of physicians would come in with a child who was going through a rare pediatric illness and their family would be there too. And I think the idea was that we were going to focus on like the ideology of disease, like the course of the disease, how we understand, like how it gets diagnosed, what the treatments were like. But what really stood out to me was everybody's story about how hard and scary it was to navigate the healthcare system itself. Mm-hmm. like figuring out if something would be covered by their insurance, figuring out how much it would cost, figuring out like if they change jobs, if they'd still be able to see the same doctors. And that was the stuff that I was really drawn to, drawn to because I was like, wow, this like being able to work on that stuff, the things that are so fundamentally flawed with the healthcare system to me was way more interesting than practicing medicine. Mm-hmm. If I couldn't actually do anything about, you know, some of those fundamental flaws in the system. Uh, so that, that was really my thinking behind yeah. it. Um, and I, so I didn't know that that would lead to founding Sesame. I had no idea.
1: At the time. But right. I definitely
0: knew that I wanted to do something, yeah, bigger and more having to do with the healthcare care system than having to do with like an individual yeah. uh, course of treatment.
1: So circling back to the White House. Very cool. How did you get the gig? And did you actually work in the White House? And tell us a little bit about exactly what you were doing there.
0: Oh, sure. Um, so it, it's one of those weird things like turns out when you're at Harvard in a PhD program that doesn't have that many people in it, you go a phone <laughs> calls to do interesting stuff. So one of the professors in the program was more directly an advisor to the Obama administration on the structure of the ACA. And through that, that relationship, I got introduced and I spent basically like a, a summer term plus a little bit more as a desk officer in the White House Office of Management and Budget, which is, it's not in like the physical White House itself, it's in the oeob the old executive office building there are two executive office buildings The other ones the eeob that's the better one the okay. eisenhower executive office building i did not have an office in there so that you were not good. in Even the cooler.
1: oval office either
0: no no i got to go once i got to bring <laughs> really? my um i got to bring my family for a tour which was super cool that's really cool um i did also once get to walk bo obama the dog may he may he rest in peace um <gasps> Because the Secret Service agent that had him for a walk wanted to take a break, and I was standing there, so I was taking, which is very oh cool. Oh my
1: gosh! Um,
0: but uh, for the most part, I worked in a little office building, working on <laughs> okay. stuff in food, Health and Labor, which is like the the team that I was on.
1: That's so neat.
0: Yeah, it it, it was not like a a long term yeah, experience a, or anything, but I was I was super thankful to get to do it. It was very
1: yeah. Cool. So you said it was about a year that you were there.
0: A little uh, mostly like uh you know like a summer term plus a few extra months yeah and I had to go back and finish my PhD. So that's what I did.
1: So then when you finished the PhD and everything, what was kind of the first job after that?
0: I first job after that was, I went to McKinsey, which is a consulting firm. And I was in the healthcare practice at McKinsey. So I worked with a huge range of healthcare clients, whether those are state governments, the, the federal government, private sector clients, like insurers, like healthcare systems on you know, Various topics. A lot of them had to do with value-based payment or designing new ways to pay for services in sort of like a more affordable manner. Uh, episodes of care were a big piece of the work that we did at, at McKinsey for a variety of our clients. I also worked with a bunch of, as I mentioned, a bunch of different health systems on mm-hmm. thinking through how they could be more effective in different value-based payment arrangements with insurers. Uh, and I was at McKinsey for five years. You know, working with that range of clients the whole time. A lot of travel mm-hmm. I, for folks who are familiar with that model. It's a lot of like get up on Monday, fly to a client, stay there until Thursday, but you're helping people with really important problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and that parts of it, the, those parts what I really, really liked.
1: That's really neat. So when you look back at your experience thus far, did you ever think you'd be an entrepreneur?
0: No, I, it, it was not like I set out to say like, I really wanna be an entrepreneur, let me find an idea and jump into it because like the idea of starting a company is so appealing to me. It, it's much more like this idea was there and I think Just my co and I realized it. if we didn't do it, we right. didn't know who would. So we felt sort of like pulled to actually do it. Um, I, I'm not the kind of person who loves the idea of you know, taking on an unnecessary <laughs> career risk and starting a company is like a risky endeavor. It is for anybody. I, so that in itself does not excite me but the idea of solving this problem and of working in this space which is super important to me as somebody who like comes from a you know a family of immigrants like a bunch of people who had to figure out how they would get care when they first came into mm-hmm. you know, the states so that that's pretty cool and really appealing to me
1: that's really neat so mckinsley you were there for a few years and so you ultimately left there to go ahead and start sesame is that right and then how did you yep, meet your co-founder right. kind of a second question
0: Sure. So I've got two. I've got John and David. So okay. David's our CEO, uh, David Goldhill. And I've known David for like 10 years now. Um, in part, that goes back to like a really painful encounter with the healthcare system that David and his family had. So David's dad, who was himself a doctor, I like, wasn't feeling well one day walking home from his medical practice, going back to the family's place in Manhattan. And so stopped by a physician who suggested that he be uh, observed overnight. He wasn't that old. I think he was Gosh, 70s or 80s. Well, 80s is pretty old, but like he was, you know, an older guy, but still working, Mm -hmm. still, as far as you could tell, perfectly healthy. Um, While he was in the hospital, he was really unfortunate and got a hospital acquired infection. So they put a, he had a a central line, if I remember this correctly, it got infected. He ended up passing away like really quickly Mm. in the hospital from an infection acquired in the hospital. And for David, that was a really traumatic painful experience for him and his whole family and he is someone who had been you know a successful executive in the past he'd run media and television companies um the very well-known name in this field been ceo of large companies is on the board of lots of companies like expedia um but he really threw himself into understanding what went wrong here and sort mm-hmm. of what about the healthcare system itself led to this problem uh, he wrote an article, it was called How American Healthcare Killed My Father, it was in the Atlantic, and then he decided to write a book. And when he was writing the book, he wanted to do some of the research around like the fundamental health economics literature in the field, and just make sure that what he was saying was aligned with like what we really understood about healthcare and how experts thought about the incentives that people face. Mm-hmm. So he came to Harvard Medical School, and this is when I was doing my PhD, and wanted to build out a research team. And basically... They paired me up with him because I'd was i already been a management consultant previously. I was used to talking to executives and CEOs, stuff like that. And as I mentioned, I'm a big healthcare dork in the first place. So I was a good partner for him in that journey. Uh, So I ran the research team for David as he was putting the book together. And we became friends as a result. Mm -hmm. Um, We really had and sort of were workshopping this idea for Sesame because over the ensuing decade from when we first met. So the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare had been passed, and it was having a huge impact on healthcare in America and in many different ways. But one of them was that more people all of a sudden had access to insurance. But what it meant to be insured in America was changing quite a bit. So it used to be if you go back a decade or more, if you had health insurance, that insurance paid for the vast, vast majority of your care. Like bill your insurance. You get that weird, confusing statement that says this is not a bill. And you get it like three months after the fact. But for the most part, they've, your insurer is paying that bill. What was happening increasingly is that deductibles, so the amount of money that you, the insured person, have to pay before your insurance really kicks in, that number was going up a lot. So at first doubling, tripling in some cases, in lots of different plans, up as much as like 10x from where it was um, going back a, a decade. And that meant all of a sudden there are lots and lots of Americans who have health insurance, like they're fully insured. But they're spending way more out of pocket than they were ever spending before. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have a very good way to know what a good price is. Like where should they be looking to spend money? Like theoretically, we created this system of deductibles to you know, give patients you know what's called skin in the game, like give them some incentive to shop around and save money. But it's really hard to do that if there isn't a competitive market for healthcare. Like if you don't know where to who to go, if you don't know how much it's going to cost. What good is this incentive if you can't actually put it into effect by saving money by shopping around for care when that's possible? So the other thing we realized is that a lot of different clinicians, so providers of care themselves, were getting squeezed by this change as well. So in part, they were facing more bad debt. So patients weren't able to pay when they got their bill because the deductible was so high. Uh, That leads to lots of providers not getting paid what they billed. Um, there are also increasingly these trends towards narrower networks. So health insurers were cutting out lots of different medical practices from their network and only going with like the big guys in town, mm-hmm. like the largest health system and those that who they employ or others. So you had more and more practices that were saying, you know, I'm I'm up for doing something independently. I'm looking for ways to source new patients, but I'm happy to be more competitive and transparent with my pricing if it means that patients will actually, you know, pay the bill and that it's a fair price they know that they can afford. So our idea was to put those two things together and build out Sesame as a health services marketplace where we work with a range of clinicians all over the country. Now, at first, we started in a few different markets, but a range of clinicians who are offering primary care services, might be offering specialist care or condition-based care, and also lab services, imaging providers, you name it. Uh, So that if you are either an insured patient who has a high deductible plan and isn't sure what an actual good, reasonable price is for care, Or if you're an uninsured patient or somebody who's, you know, between insurance is in something like a health sharing plan or something non-traditional, that you have a place to find affordable care where, you know, if you see a price, you're actually going to pay that price for care. Mm -hmm. So that's what people do on Sesame, which is at sesamecare.com. We have listings from now about 18,000 different practices across the country for either in person care. So seeing a doctor in their office or telehealth. So doing a video visit from your home. All those things have prices, you can book them, pay for them on Sesame, and then schedule with a practice locally. Um, like I said, either a local one in your neighborhood or somebody who's licensed in your state to see you for telehealth. And you know, when we were thinking about this pre-COVID, we figured the majority of what we would do would be in-person care, because that's how the world worked pre-COVID. Everything was, if I'm gonna see a doctor, I'm gonna go wait in their office, I'm gonna sit there at my appointed time, and maybe they'll see me You know, within two hours of when they said they would. <laughs> right. Office is not particularly great about being on time. But as soon as COVID happened, many offices moved to start thinking about telehealth and obviously the whole world moved to staying in our houses. So all of a sudden the telehealth offering that we had became much, much more important. And like we worked really hard to iterate on that, to build like a full service telehealth platform here at Sesame. And now, you know, like more than 50% of what we do is facilitating those telehealth visits, whether for primary care or for specialist visits. Um, We have a bunch of specialists who use Sesame as sort of their platform for offering telehealth. Um, We've even got surgeons who will do like a pre-surgical consult on Sesame via a telehealth visit before you come in for a colonoscopy or joint replacements, things like that. Um, It's been a really good learning experience and not what we expected when we started, but having this dual option now of telehealth and in-person care has been a really big deal for us. Uh, anyway, that I feel like I started this by talking about the founder story. Um, <laughs> no, it's good. But uh, so that, that's how I met David. Um, w- one quick note on that. So one of the things we realized would be important for these clinicians is uh, yield management and dynamic pricing. So in most physicians don't, or they're not used to setting their own prices for care. They're mostly receiving prices. Like an insurer says to them, this is what I'll pay you for right. these services. So one of the things we wanted to do was give them the ability to like generate value from their time with more dynamic pricing. So having peak and off-peak pricing, things along those lines that if they have times in their schedules that are typically more available, they could price those more competitively so that people who care a lot about how much their healthcare costs could go to those less expensive times and help the doctors make more money with their schedules at a more affordable rate. And the people who do that better than anybody are sort of like the travel and logistics industries. I mentioned David, our CEO, was on the board of Expedia. John, who's our our third co-founder, uh, was an executive at a travel company called GoEuro, which built yield management and sort of a travel marketplace that had a lot of that tech built into it. So we really combined like healthcare expertise, which was you know, part of what I was bringing, part of what a lot of our colleagues were bringing to the table, with you know yield management and marketplace expertise, which is what David and John were bringing to the table, uh, and use those tools and those experiences to build out Sesame, which is sort of you know, this space in healthcare one of the last faces that's really been transformed by the internet. Like almost every other business you can think of anything else where money changes hands, the internet has transformed the way that business works. Healthcare. That wasn't really true. So part of what we're trying to do here is be the place that does it for those customers for whom it can make sense. Those people who care how much their healthcare costs because they've got a high deductible, they're uninsured, they're looking for an affordable price.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's all great. And I, I, I love what you're doing, and I love the solution, and I I do see the need for it, and I especially like, you know, we've done a lot of these um, founder stories, and, you know, the most impactful ones always come from a place of, you know, a personal place, and so I kind of love, you mentioned David, just kind of went out to like avenge in a way of like, listen, this is not going to happen to anybody else, and I'm going to make sure of it, which, you know, breeds great innovation. So
0: yeah, it's the very like Inigo Montoya, Princess Bride, American healthcare, <laughs> you killed my father, prepare to die, type of, of setup. Right. Um, but that's really true. Like I think David, somebody who like had a, has had a very successful business career and got into this space because it was a mission, saying, like, if we had a healthcare system, and especially for people who feel really anxious about going to the doctor because they have no idea how much money it's gonna cost them, mm-hmm. if we had a system that was more competitive for the needs of those patients, we'd all be better off for it. And people could could compete on the basis, not just of price, but on quality, value, accessibility. And direct pay is the one place in the healthcare industry where we can do that because you can actually have a relationship specifically between the doctor and the patient.
1: Hi, everyone. It's Sam. Have you listened to our newest segment, Slice Snippets? No? Well, you absolutely should. These episodes were recorded live in person at the Unmet AZ Conference back in early October. We hope you enjoy hearing the impactful founder stories just as much as we enjoyed recording them. Up next, Emily and Michael discuss the obstacles faced when founding a med-based startup, some emerging industry trends, and why entrepreneurship is worth doing. You, You kind of mentioned the business side of things, so I'm curious not coming from a business educational background yourself, was it daunting to think, okay, we have to start an entire business? You know, like we have this healthcare knowledge, but what about, you know, the financial side of things? What about the accounting and everything that goes into it?
0: I I think if I tried to do this right out of the PhD, like being in professor mode, yeah, it would have been extremely daunting. But Five years at McKinsey is kind of the best business education I could imagine. So I came into it having worked with every kind of healthcare business imaginable,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. you know, for-profit, not-for-profit, government, startups, huge companies, everything in between. So I had a pretty good sense of the lay of the land and I'd seen how those businesses are successful, how they're not. So that in itself was like a very hands-on business education. So I felt pretty well-equipped. Like, like, no one's ever well-equipped to start a company for the first time, Mm -hmm. but I was also doing it. And John and david with people who had been here before and it right. wasn't their first rodeo so between all of us we had a pretty good skill set to tackle this problem
1: yeah and then either for you personally or for the three of you do you can you recall a particular obstacle that you had to overcome when building sesame or currently and how you ultimately overcame it
0: sure um i think when we first started when we would meet with advisors or folks to you know, think through how to build this company they'd say you know I love this idea. Everything sounds perfect, except we have two questions. The first is Will doctors want to do this? Uh, like, will doctors want to list uh, competitive prices in a marketplace? And the second is Will patients buy healthcare this way? So, like, oh, other than those two things, <laughs>
1: we love it. Everything <laughs> sounds
0: obvious. But it's like, yeah, those are the two fundamental things we have to solve <laughs> for the business. Um, we started out by saying, like, we should focus on making this as customer friendly as possible. So we started with, like a relatively small core of physicians in Kansas City, which was market number one, that was sort of where we wanted to build out the proof of concept for Sesame. And so the hardest thing we had to do was starting out explaining this before it existed to a group of physicians. I'd say most physicians, and like I kept myself in this, this bucket of this type of person, like they're pretty risk averse people. Like being a physician is not a very like high risk profession, pretty secure once you've invested all the time and effort to go mm-hmm. to medical school. So there aren't a lot of different physicians who want to do something new that they're not familiar with, especially when it comes to providing care. So like our first really hard problem was just explaining to physicians who we were, like why these people wanted to build this thing and how it would work. And gosh, we spent a ton of time building out demos, like traveling to KC to meet interesting physicians. We had a bunch of great sort of first physician evangelists, the people who understood what we were going for, who knew who David was had read his books or seen him talk and sort of understood where his heart was and what we wanted to do here. But that work to convince the group of physicians to join us and do this together, that was the hardest sort of initial challenge that we had to overcome.
1: Mm-hmm. I can see how that would be challenging. Why, I'm curious, why Kansas City? The barbecue?
0: The barbecue was awesome. <laughs> uh, the people are great. There, there were a few reasons. So one is Kansas City. It's not a huge city. It's a decent sized city. Mm-hmm. So there are lots of folks there. Um, we had to understand how to explain this concept to patients. Like, what would our marketing strategy be? And wh- when were you trying to reach a patient? So are you trying to do a bunch of brand advertising so that they know who Sesame, like what Sesame is when they have a healthcare need? Or are you trying to reach them right at the moment that they have a specific healthcare need? And to do that, we had to experiment. So we had to experiment with lots of different forms of media and advertising. And so we wanted to do that in a media market that was relatively affordable. And Kansas City was a great media market to do that as opposed to like New York or San Francisco, which are really expensive media markets. Kansas City is like relatively well-defined. You know what the marketing channels are gonna be the after, so we figured we'd do it that way. We found out after, um, and we had to do this in America, obviously, so it had to be an American city because this is an, very much an American problem we're trying to solve. We found out after a bunch of different internet products do their first testing in Australia because Australia is like a small defined place. What you do there won't necessarily like make its way to America in terms of people thinking about it in the culture. So you can like experiment with a social network or a product in an Australian market, really get it right, and then bring it here. So for us, like Kansas City was sort of our Australia. It was market number one, it was the place where we started. We got to work with great physicians, um, had a great experience, we had a lot to learn. I think there are lots of things we did wrong as we first started in terms of how we were trying to reach patients, how we were explaining what we were doing. Uh, how we were connecting them to an individual physician that we had the chance to iterate on and, and get right with a group of, like like I mentioned, like physician evangelists, the people who got it, who understood what, what our goal was here and wanted to work with us to get that right.
1: Mm-hmm. And then how did you land on Sesame Care? Sesame.
0: Sesame as a name? As a name. Um, so it's like when we would talk about this, there, there was a part of us that was like, what is it that we're doing here? Like we're trying to make a place that makes this more accessible to people. And we really liked the, the idea of this being like an open Sesame experience. Like you find this place and all of a sudden you have access to everything. Mm -hmm. Um, there was also like the really boring prosaic legal stuff that went into it, which is we had to find a name that was available and simple (laughs) and like easy to spell in English. Right. We thought about Sesame. We also thought about Pepper, which we thought was interesting for a while, but we realized like the folks at Dr. Pepper would probably sue us because they're like, do- It'd be too close. Oh. It's like pepper doctors. Like, don't go in that direction. Yeah. We ended up liking Sesame a lot more as the name anyway. Um, obviously, we were not. We're nowhere near the first thing that you find when we first started. If you type in the word Sesame into Google, you're going to find like Sesame Street. You're going to find Sesame seeds. A lot of people were like, you know, this is healthcare for Muppets. We heard a lot of that. Um, <laughs>
2: That's rude. <laughs> but
0: we, it is rude. Uh, we really, we really like the name. I. Uh, I feel like it gets at what we're doing. It's pretty friendly. It's pretty open. We have to think a lot about like color scheme with purple. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, yeah it's so really I, fun. I, I, it is really stuck. I'm I'm proud of it. I think it was a really yeah. good collective decision. By the,
1: yeah, it's the really cool. I just part. had to ask. But um, is there a particular piece of advice that you would give to somebody, uh, maybe just starting their company or maybe any notes on leadership?
0: I, sure. So a few different things come to mind. One is when you're starting, you're going to be doing everything like there's no version of this does not involve being incredibly humble and like humbling yourself to do every single job at the company in some form you're going to be the it guy you're going to be the guy who's fixing equipment you're going to be the guy who's like moving off boxes into the office you're going to be the first customer service representative you're going to be the first salesperson you're going to be if you're technical a technical founder you're going to be building a lot of the initial architecture um you have to be okay with that like there there is no job too big or too small for you when you're starting. Like everything is your responsibility. And you gotta be cool with it. Um, but you also need to learn how to scale. And part of how you scale this is by getting yourself out of those core jobs as quickly as possible. So mm-hmm. finding really competent people that you trust and empowering them to do that stuff so that you can do Freeing all the other stuff you have to do up. when you're running the company. Yeah. Right. Like you need more firepower. You need to find great people, you need to move quick to bring them in. And sometimes what you'll find is like, you might think somebody is the right person for a role and you can, you can be wrong. It's okay to be wrong to say that somebody is not the right person for a given role. When you're starting, you've got an opportunity to say like, Hey, there's this other piece of the task that I think would be better for you. Or you can say like, look, this wasn't the right fit. And that's okay too. To say like, this isn't the right place or the right role or the right time for you in your career. And let me help you find something else that you'll be great at. I can endorse you really strongly given what I've seen, but Not trying to force the wrong people into the wrong roles when you're starting is really important, because if you don't have people you trust, uh, and if you're not able to collaborate effectively by like delegating work and saying, this is your responsibility, you're going to own it, you'll never succeed. Because it's a weird balance between, like I said, being responsible for everything and at first doing everything, but really quickly thereafter, finding the things that you are not the best person to do and finding other people you trust. Like
1: relinquishing that control, too. Yeah. Especially when it's like a baby, essentially, you know, you've built this, I can imagine that might be
0: hard. Oh, for sure. Cause you both have to understand it really well, but also be willing to not be the person doing it.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Yeah. The, the other thing is um, you will make mistakes and there will be competitors and you have to be okay with that. Like at a certain point you have to recognize like you're running your own race and just because other people are Doing it doesn't mean you need to constantly be looking at what they're doing. You have to move really fast. Like your goal is to move really, really fast and to be really, really effective in what you do. But the hardest thing is just doing your own, doing your own thing. Mm-hmm. Like keep your eyes on other, other folks, but don't feel like you have to outmaneuver them at every turn. Your goal is just to build something that you are excited about and to keep it moving forward.
1: Mm-hmm. Love it. And then speaking of moving forward, I think it was yesterday, correct me if that's wrong, but... Did you guys launch a membership type program?
0: Yeah, that's right. So Sesame has uh, sort of right now as we get started, an overall Sesame membership, which has a Sesame Plus, which is like a paid monthly membership at about $7 a month, which includes uh, broader discounts on care from all the clinicians who are listed on Sesame, or a Sesame Basic membership, which is free to anybody, which gets you access to our mail order pharmacy relationships, which has a huge range of medications of $5 or less, including shipping to get mail to your house, if those are things you have a need for, given your conditions, um, and access overall to the, the Sesame network of people who have competitive, affordable cash pricing for in-person care, for telehealth, whatever you're looking for. It also gives you access to our care navigators. We have a team here at Sesame of people who will help you find what you need. If you're looking for a specific health service, can help you compare the pricing to what you might find from others, uh, can And generally, can help you make a good decision on care, finding something that's affordable uh, with a good doctor who's nearby. So, previously, everything we did on Sesame was very much like in the traditional fee for service model like, here's a specific price for a specific mm-hmm. individual service. But we realized people wanted to, like, people were sticking with us. They were using Sesame not just for one thing, but for you know, three, four, or five things in a given year. They were bringing their family members along so we wanted to make it easier for them to have like a recurring relationship with us with the individual clinicians they were seeing and to get further care like labs like imaging through the overall platform. So the membership seemed like a really good way to do that. Um like you mentioned Emily we're it's brand new in terms of the platform. We've had a bunch of people sign up so far and we're really excited to help them find the care that they need. Get them those like it, if you sign up for the the assessment plus membership you get free lab services your first time out so we can help you find both actionable information that your physician can then help you translate into, you know, improving your care directly uh, and can help plug you into the rest of the healthcare system.
1: That's really neat. Yeah, that's really yeah, neat.
0: So far, so good.
1: <laughs> awesome. 24 hours in. <laughs> so yeah. far, so good. I am curious. I'd like to pick your brain just based on your vast experience. Do you see maybe post-COVID, but do you see any particular industry trends emerging?
0: Yeah, I think that. God, a lot of things are going to change in the provision mm-hmm. of healthcare post-COVID. There are some overarching things that will stay the same, which is like healthcare is becoming more and more concentrated with like a few very powerful players in different parts of the country, like huge health systems that are acquiring a bunch of different medical practices. They own a lot of the healthcare facilities. And that trend in itself is not going to change that much over healthcare. You do, you, you do increasingly see... Practices splitting off, starting to leave those large systems, go out independent. I think platforms like Sesame enable them to do that because all of a sudden they can like have a direct pay portion of their practice, bring more people in the door. But fundamentally, like a lot of stuff is controlled by those big systems. It's the individual clinicians who are splitting off who can lead to a lot of disruptive innovation and can build out their own practices. So the more people are doing that, the more
2: Mm
0: -hmm. um, impactful it'll be. And the reason I bring that up is that what we found is that a lot of physicians, a lot of healthcare providers have been really burned out by the pandemic. The idea of uh, seeing patients and seeing so much suffering and, and you know, candidly, so many people pass away who didn't otherwise need to from this disease. There's a lot, of, a lot of people in the medical field to think through how they practice. So you're increasingly seeing a lot more practices adopt and maintain telehealth as a part of what they're doing. Um, and a lot more people going part-time. So a lot more physicians and other practitioners saying, I'm gonna drop down to like three days a week, two days a week, I'm gonna spend more time with my family. Mm -hmm. And so I might change the way my practice works. I might do two days in the office and three days of telehealth. Um, I might only practice for three days a week and do all of it on telehealth. Those models are changing in part because for the first time like this use and adoption of telehealth and digital care has really blown up, not just for urgent care, like not just for the teledocs of the world, but for chronic care management for occurring relationships with physicians. And that's not going to change. Like people, it turns out people really liked it. They liked Mm -hmm. the idea of seeing their existing doctor with telehealth, not having to go in person every time if it's not absolutely required. Um, And we're never going to move away from that entirely. So some portion of telehealth is here to stay forever. It won't be the same amount that it was at the heights of the pandemic when like everything was happening on telehealth, but it'll definitely stick around. And it'll be more of a hybrid model. So you'll see patients who might see their doctor for the first time in person you know, they might do their follow-up via telehealth. They might come back in for follow-up care in person at some point in the future. But being able to bridge both of those modalities is going to become increasingly common and increasingly important. Right. And so like being that digital first health system, something along those lines, I think is sticking around forever. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So with roughly 50-ish million in funding, I am curious at this point. A lot of people would say, "Okay, you've made it that successful. Look at all the funding you have." But I'm curious for you personally: How do you measure success?
0: It's a, it's a great question. Um, just having, like, j- just raising money definitely is not success in itself. Like having a growing platform that's solving a lot of people's problems—that's like, th- that's success. Um, what I look at, besides the core business metrics, so number of customers that we're serving, number of people who return, people who sign up for care using Sesame, physicians who are a part of the platform, memberships, all that stuff. One of the things we do is we have a recurring sort of anonymized Slack channel that just has reviews and sort of the personal notes that patients leave after they've had a visit. Hmm. Um, Again, this this is a no-PHI platform here I'm talking about, but people can write in and say, like, how did this help you? Like, what, what was your experience with Sesame? And man, like that's the most heartwarming part of what we do, seeing the patient who says like, I got my first mammogram in five years because it was finally able to find an affordable one mm-hmm. at like an off peak time at a local imaging center. Uh, and I was really nervous because I have a family history of breast cancer and I had not stayed on top of my care. And because I found you guys, I was able to stay on top of my care. Those types of things are what success feels like when that's happening, mm-hmm. when patients are saying like, I'm finally able to manage my diabetes because I'm seeing a doctor regularly. Because I found somebody affordable where I can get my meds in in an affordable way. Those things are really gratifying, and what success looks like for us, and they happen every day, and that has been absolutely awesome. Like if I think back to when we were first building out in Kansas City, where if you know we would get like one person using Sesame a day, we'd be like, "Oh, this is incredible! We can help this person," and that was that was great. But now when we can help you know thousands of folks a day, Mm -hmm. it's even better. And I'm really excited about having that like impact on the system that I was always hoping to have when I started yeah. on, on this journey with school and like that bioethics degree.
1: Full circle. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, before I let you go, is there anything else you'd like to add about your journey? Anything else you'd like our listeners to know about you or about Sesame?
0: Um, I So a couple thoughts. One being, like I said, this is for anyone who cares how much their healthcare costs. I think it's worth checking this out. So it's sesamecare.com. You can see what we're doing. Um. The second being just from the perspective of the journey and doing this itself, it's really worth doing. Like it is a like starting a company is hard. It is a lot of work. You're trying to solve a million different problems at the same time. You're very much like building the plane while it's flying in the air. Mm-hmm. But gosh, it is a very gratifying experience to get to work with a lot of really mission-oriented people to build something durable. Uh and I would, if you're thinking about doing it, like it's, it's absolutely worth doing. I feel incredibly fortunate to have like this network of people from like McKinsey and Harvard and Princeton and these fancy places that I got to go to, which certainly like made it easier to find the right people. But there's never been a better time to start a company and mm-hmm. you can hire people remotely. Like people are used to working remotely. There are many, many people looking to fund innovative ideas. Sure. It's hard to get started, but once you do get the ball rolling, like the right things come in, come into your path. So I'd 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 encourage people who are eager to do it, to give it a shot if they have an idea they're excited about.
1: Perfect. Well, thanks. I think we need that positivity from somebody who's done (laughs) it.
0: (laughs) Well, cool. I'm I'm happy to be Mr. Positive. I'm a pretty optimistic guy in general, so for sure.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your story. We so appreciate it. Thank you, Michael.
0: Great. Thanks for having me, Emily. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Sliced Podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode of Sliced, please email newsroom at startupblogpost.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.